Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of, a steward, of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will, bring, uh, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of man's heart, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. As we look at this text really quick, just knowing that it doesn't matter what you think about me or what we think about each other. It doesn't even matter what I think about myself. God is our true judge, and he will examine us. He will, he will expose us for what's really inside, what's deep down inside of us. But that's freeing, because once we surrender everything to him, then he can take us just as we are, and he can do something amazing through that. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you right now, we just uh, want to praise you, think about you, worship you, Lord. Lord, we are not worthy of anything. We are not worthy of this next breath, breath that we have. I pray that you will help um, us to just fully examine our hearts and that we will just completely fall in love with you. Thank you for the mercy and the grace that you show us every day. Amen. Um, you guys could just remain standing, but uh, just for a moment before we start singing together, I thought it would be good if we just take a, a, just a, a few seconds, a moment, Let's just kind of close our eyes and just each one in your own, quiet of your own mind, your own heart, uh, just take a minute and just kind of ponder the gospel. Uh, ponder what it means to you and just maybe pray that the Lord, uh, through his spirit, would just prepare your heart uh, to sing some songs about him, to lift him up in praise because he's the only one worthy of. So let's take a minute and do that.
cross I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross I'll never know how much it
Children's song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, right? Okay, well, I'm sure that was inspiration for Tomlin when he wrote this one, so let's all sing it out. Yeah. 
like the loud guy to come up and speak afterwards, huh? Uh, good morning, church and uh, guests. Uh, I want to take a few seconds to uh, encourage you. We are all gifted with talents that the Lord gives us, and, uh, and as a body, and even if you're a guest here today, uh, we can use those talents and gifts for God's glory. Um, for those that don't know, our church uh, is big on missions, and uh, local and abroad, and today we have the pleasure of Stephen and Kay Taylor and their daughter Sophia with us today. Uh, they will be sharing. Uh, they have spent the last 11 years in Japan uh, where they are with a team, the Evangelical Alliance Mission, uh, which Stephen will share more with us about his family, the happenings in his family, and, uh, and their ministry. Uh, some of you might remember Sunrise Cafe. Uh, that's what they have over there and they use that as a ministry, uh, which is very neat and I'll leave that to, to Stephen to share more about that. But it's my pleasure um, to introduce Stephen Taylor to share with us this morning. <clears throat> well, thank you. I am a missionary and so I will be talking about missions. So just to get that right off the table, I won't be preaching a sermon because one woman came up after my sermon one time and said, you know, you should do relaxation tapes. She said, your voice is so soothing. And so I don't want to go too long and I don't want to preach too hard because I'll see you just relaxing too much. But I do want to share about our work in Japan. I do want to just share from my heart about missions and about how did we end up on the mission field. I'm from Birmingham. I was born and raised here. I went to Southeastern Bible College. You know many of the professors that influenced me and taught me, Dr. Morange, Dr. Hughley. They were a great part of my early Christian life. But God has led us to Japan and maybe God is leading you somewhere you never even dreamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice. Help us, Lord, to sense your leading. Involve us, Lord, in the great things that you are doing in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The context, of course, is the first coming of Jesus Christ. But in a greater sense, this describes the condition of all mankind. We have all turned away from God's light, we have rejected God's truth, and so we walk in darkness, living in the land of deep darkness, without hope and without God in the world. This especially describes the people of Japan. There is such a deep spiritual darkness and the light of God's truth has scarcely penetrated, even though missionaries have been working there and crying there and praying there. 
so hard, the light of the truth has scarcely penetrated. Why should we care? Because Japan has the 10th largest population in the world. Over 127 million people. All living in an area about the size of California. It's about 25 million. This is 127 million jammed together. And of that 127 million people, less than one half of 1% are believers. If you hear figures about Japan having 1% or 2% Christian, that's including all the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the quasi-Christian cults and the Catholics. But if we're talking about evangelical, Bible-believing believers, about 400,000 out of 127 million. How is this possible? Millions upon millions living in darkness, a modern nation with bullet trains and high-tech and yet Japan remains the second largest unreached people group in the world. How is this possible? And what can be done? We live in Tokyo. Tokyo is the largest metroplex in the world. Over 35 million people and climbing towards 40 million in the next five years. When you go up to the top of a tall building, if you come there, I could take you up to the top of one of these skyscrapers and there's observatories and you can look out and you will see in every direction, as far as the eye can see, the city goes on and on and on. Over 35 million people and almost all of them have never heard the gospel. 78% of Japanese college students have never met a Christian, not heard the gospel. They don't even know of a Christian they've ever met. How is this possible? Tokyo, the largest gathering of lost souls in the history of the world, and yet so unreached. How is this possible? And what can be done? I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. And one of the first messages that greatly impacted me was by a man from India named Thomas Samuel. Thomas Samuel was a businessman, and yet God called him into the ministry. And he spoke of these millions and millions in his home country who had not heard the gospel. He said he stood on a busy street, and he watched this river of humanity passing by. People who had never heard the saving message of Jesus Christ. And his heart was overwhelmed. So many, so many, and so few workers. Oh Lord, what can be done? What can be done? How shall they be reached with the gospel? And he said it seemed as if the Lord spoke to his heart. Don't ask the question. Be a part of the answer. Thomas Samuel left his comfortable job with American Express and he entered the gospel ministry. And his ministry today has reached hundreds of thousands of people. He's discipled dozens of men to be evangelists and church planters. And today at age 88, 
he is still sharing God's truth and discipling others. And all because his heart was tuned to his Savior. And this is where all ministry begins, isn't it? This is where all ministry and missions begins. With the heart of Jesus Christ and with believers tuned into him, close to Jesus Christ. The heart of Jesus Christ for the lost. Did Thomas Samuel hear an audible voice? No. But he was walking with Christ. He could sense God's leading. Because he was walking with Christ, because he fell in love with Jesus Christ, the things that burdened the heart of Christ became important to him and burdened him. When your life is over, what will be your biggest regret? I'm speaking to Christians, right? When we stand before Christ, what will be our biggest regret? Certainly there's great joy in His presence. It's going to be wonderful in heaven. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ for evaluation, not for punishment, but for evaluation. What will be the saddest thing? What will be the biggest regret? Was it that you never owned that item that you always wish you could afford? Is it that you never went on that European vacation? I think it will be all of the lost opportunities. The lost opportunities to be involved in what God was doing in the world. To reach out to others. To share the gospel. To show love to others. To serve Christ in your community or maybe even in another land, to take the gospel to those who have never heard. Opportunities that were lost because we could not sense his leading. We could not hear his voice. We were not close to Christ. You see, I believe the work of God in this world is like a great symphony orchestra. All these instruments each with its own unique sound. That's us, right? Everybody's different. But all these instruments with unique notes to play. And God is like the great conductor, shaping this majestic music of grace to his perfect will. It's the theme of redemption. It's wonderful, and it's beyond human understanding. And God invites each one of us to this great divine orchestra. He invites us to take a seat and to play our part. You say, oh no, I'm not gifted enough. You know, I'm not worthy. But God already has gifted us. That's what his word says. Each one of you as a believer has been gifted. And God has given you grace. That's what makes us worthy. It's the promise of his word. So each one of us is invited to participate in the great work of God. But what a profound sadness to reach the end of your life and to realize that you missed your chance. God was inviting you. Your place was waiting. He wanted to use your gifts 
but you didn't hear his calling. You were not tuned in to his heart. God doesn't force these opportunities upon us, right? I mean, I've heard people say, I'm afraid to get closer to Christ. I'm afraid to give my heart totally because you know what? He'll call me to the mission field and it'll be some horrible place. <laughs> That's just ridiculous, right? When you're playing the part God has for you, you will be glad. When you're playing the notes that he has for you, your heart will sing. It's not a burden, it's a privilege. It's a joy and an honor to participate in this great orchestra of God and what he's doing in the world. And it all begins when we seek his face. It all begins when we grow in his truth. Closeness to Christ is the beginning of all service to Christ. Closeness to Christ is the beginning of all service to Christ. As we know him, we can know his heart. And it's a heart for the lost. It's a heart for the hurting. It's a heart for the hopeless. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. My wife and I heard the heart of the Savior calling us. It took about 10 years working in our heart to draw us towards Japan. And just as Thomas Samuel stood on that crowded street in India, we learned more and more about Japan. And as we did, our hearts were burdened. The more we learned about the great spiritual darkness there, the more we learned about the millions and millions who had not heard, the more we heard about how few missionaries and how few churches and we saw video of Japanese believers saying, we need help. We need you. Please, we are not strong. We need help reaching our people. And God burdened our hearts. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And so we cried out, Lord, so many, so many, and so few. What can be done? What can we do? And God put his love for the Japanese people in our hearts. Certainly, it's not our love for the Japanese people. After you've been there for a while, you see Japanese are human. It looks really great and high tech and there's a lot of cool things, but when you get to know human hearts, oh, but God has a love that he puts through us. What has kept us there for 11 years? It's not our love for the Japanese people. It's the love of Christ coming through us and expressed to the Japanese people. We love them greatly. Our hearts cry for them. But it's not because of our human love. It's the love of Christ compelling us. Closeness to Christ produces this heart of ministry and this burden for the lost.
as I said, we live and minister in Tokyo, the largest metropolitan area in the history of the world. Never have so many lost been gathered together in one place in the history of the world. 36 million people in one place. And sometimes I feel like Thomas Samuel. I remember him. Because I stand on the streets and I watch this endless river of humanity passing by. The trains open and thousands of people come out. I look at the crowded streets, millions of people, 50,000 people per square mile in some areas. And I say, what can I do? What can anyone do? My heart is burdened for the lost. It's overwhelming. How can we reach these millions and millions? Added to this is the Japanese resistance to the gospel. First, there's religious resistance. They are a people living in darkness. Their ideas about spiritual things are so far away from the truth. Some trust in false gods and rituals. Others do those religious rituals just out of habit. It's what they've been taught to do since childhood. And to them, it's just part of being Japanese. At certain times in life, they do certain ceremonies. At certain times of the year, they do certain rituals. I was in the home of an elderly lady. She's about 83 years old. And I saw on her wall a red arrow. Oh, maybe that's something belonging to her family or some meeting. And I said, oh, Hisako, what's, what's that red arrow on your wall? And she said, oh, every New Year's I go to the Shinto shrine and I pay the money and they give me this arrow and it's kind of like I'm going to shoot forward into the future. It's going to really do well my future. And every year I go back on New Year's and I give them the arrow, and they burn it, and I have to buy a new arrow. And he said, oh, if you pay more, you can get the gold arrow. You're even super blessed. They're groping in the darkness for something, and they don't know what. They know their lives are empty. They know there's something missing, but they really don't know that God of this world has blinded the eyes so that they cannot see. Most Japanese could not even tell you what they really believe. 80% say, I have no personal religious faith at all. So where do you start with these people? Their concept of God is totally turned upside down. You can't just go up and read a four spiritual law and have them pray. It doesn't work that way. It's a seemingly impossible barrier to the gospel. Another barrier to the gospel is cultural. Cultural resistance. The Japanese are a very polite and courteous people. Some of the kindest people I've ever met in my life have been in Japan. This is because they're taught from their earliest years, be mindful of others. Think about others. Don't cause trouble for others. And this can make Japan seem like a perfect society. 
And to the outsider, everything seems like peace and harmony. Of course, this isn't true. Japanese are humans just like us. And just like us, so many of their thoughts and feelings are not very nice. But they've been taught from a very young age, don't reveal your true heart. Only a fool shares his true thoughts and feelings. And so for all of their life, they're taught to wear a mask. To each other, to foreigners, to anyone, wear the mask and don't be open. Don't say anything that will cause trouble. Don't put yourself forward. Even lie to someone if it's going to cause you to get out of embarrassment or uncomfortable or causing trouble. So it's very difficult to know what are people really thinking. If they're offended or upset, it's very hard to know. Americans value someone who's really plain spoken, right? Put your cards on the table. Tell me what you're thinking. It's just the opposite for Japanese. They value restraint, holding back, and keeping your thoughts to yourself. And your offenses and your anger and all those negative things are hidden. So you can imagine how this affects sharing the gospel or trying to build contacts. I had this great conversation with someone there. Oh, yeah, that's great. And yeah, come by the coffee shop. And yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. And they never show up. Or someone actually comes to one of our messages and says, oh, that message, I'm not a Christian, but oh, that message, just, it was wonderful. Oh, we'll see you next week. Oh, yes, next week I'll see you. Never see him. We've learned Whatever someone says, don't put too much weight on it. Just smile and say yes and pray for them. Maybe they'll come back if God's working in their heart. Japanese are also taught to never be different from anyone else. There's this famous Japanese proverb. The nail that sticks out gets hammered in. If you are different, we're going to put you in your place That's the greatest fear of most Japanese, is being different from the group, being an outsider. In school, bullying is a huge problem. So we often see in the news these stories of middle schoolers and high schoolers who committed suicide. Children as young as six years old committed suicide because they were so bullied and stressed over school. In fact, suicide is the number one cause of death in children ages 10 to 19. The school year in Japan starts on April 1st, and kids return from summer break on September 1st, two start dates of school. Those two dates have the highest suicide rates for children. Every year, we look We watch and see how many will there be. We dread it hearing the news. They can't bear the thought of returning to constant bullying. Because bullying, being different, makes you a target for bullying. One girl that we knew, she had all kinds of mental afflictions. She had trouble swallowing. She would choke easily while eating. She couldn't ride on crowded trains 
which is a really bad thing in Japan. She would have these horrible panic attacks. All of this came about by being bullied in school. Why? She was tall, taller than the other girls. And that made her different, and that made her a target. That's all it took for her to be targeted. So how does this affect the church? When we're trying to build a church and we're calling people out from the group, calling people out from the world. For the Japanese, this means leaving the insider group and becoming an outsider, becoming different. It means being rejected by your society. It means trouble at work. It means trouble with your family members. You say, is there persecution? Not physical persecution, but there's tremendous mental stress and shunning of people who say they're a Christian. Most Japanese think Christians don't have any common sense. You don't think like a Japanese should think. There's something wrong with those people. Yeah, there is something wrong. So becoming a Christian is not something a proper Japanese would do. Christianity is for foreigners. This is a major barrier to receiving the gospel. And there are many other barriers I could talk about. The Japanese language itself makes it difficult to communicate the gospel. Japanese have told us we could never hear the gospel in Japanese. When you explained it in English, I could understand. How does that work? How do you understand something better in another language and not in your heart language? It's the barriers. It's the cultural and everything barriers that have been set up to block the gospel. The Japanese don't want to feel obligated to someone else. It makes them uncomfortable if they feel like they owe something to someone else. I teach a free English class on Wednesday nights. The goal is to meet people, you build relationships with them, and then you invite them to this Wednesday night. You say, this is a free English class using the Bible as the textbook. And so people come, and this lady came, and she said, I'm not a Christian, but I'd really like to learn more about how Westerners think. So I said, yeah, great. So for two or three years, she came faithfully, reading the Bible, trying to talk about spiritual things, trying to draw her in. It's free, remember. At the end of that two or three year period, she said, I'm taking a trip to Spain. Uh, your son plays guitar. Would he like a guitar? Oh, no, thank you. My son collects guitars. He has two or three already. I said, oh, okay. She came back a couple of weeks later. $1,500 Spanish guitar. Why? See, in her mind, she's been adding up all those years of getting something free, and she couldn't take it anymore. And then when my other son graduated the next year, she gave him $1,500 in cash. Yeah, she's evening the count, and then she's gone. She disappeared. After that, oh, I love your family. It's like my family. Oh, it's so, she's gone. She settled her account with us 
and now she's moving on. So imagine how this affects sharing the gospel. We have had Japanese say to us, I don't want Jesus to pay for my sin. I'd rather pay for it myself. Because the concept of grace is totally foreign to them. You break the rules, you get the punishment. I was driving in downtown Tokyo. My GPS said, take a right. So I took a right, and the police were waiting for me. And they pulled me over, and they said, no, you shouldn't. There was a small sign about this big in Chinese characters that said, don't turn. Ah, I just, I busted. And the guy was so nice, and I started talking with him. And he was like, oh, you know, I, I went to a Christian kindergarten when I was young. Oh, that was, and I almost could see a, a tear in his eye when he was thinking about it. And then, here's your ticket. <laughs> I thought, oh boy, I'm going to get out some grace here because I'm a foreigner. And my, my, he said, don't listen to your GPS ticket. The concept of grace is totally foreign. If you could sit down with a committee and design a country with as many complex barriers to the gospel as possible, you couldn't do better than Japan. So reaching the Japanese with a gospel is an impossible task. It's beyond hopeless. At least as far as human efforts are concerned. The cleverest plan will not work. The most money, mountains of money, it won't work. That's why we tell people, you know, it's great financial support. Every missionary needs that. But what we really need is your prayer support. Because you could give us a billion dollars for Japan. It's not going to make headway unless God is working. Hard work will not work. Ask the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're hard at work in Japan. Actually, there are more Mormon missionaries than Protestant evangelical missionaries in Japan. Thankfully, they only stay for two years at a time. And they're not getting anywhere either. The task is impossible, except for God. God is the only one who can reach the Japanese heart. And he's told us how he's going to do it, right? Through preaching the gospel, through sharing the word of God. God will not honor our smoothest talking and our highly proficient Japanese and all the clever methods we may use, God will honor his word. One of my professors at Southeastern, Jan Langford, I think he passed away recently. He used to always say, your task is to take the word of God and stab it in the heart of the unbeliever and pray that God will work in their heart before Satan snatches it out. And that's deeply affected our ministry, and that's the focus of our ministry. God honors his word, and our main focus in our ministry is preaching and teaching and discipleship and evangelism using God's word. We're taking every opportunity to put God's word into the hearts of the unbelievers and trusting God to make a difference. So, what exactly do we do in Japan? As mentioned, we have a cafe. But it's not a business. Yes, it's a business in the sense that it sells coffee and we have people come in and it's a nice environment and music's playing. Yes, it's a business in that sense. But it's never turned a profit. 
Because our goal is not business. Our goal is ministry. It's a neutral space for us to invite people in. You know, Japanese will not go into a church building. It's almost like if I ask some of you, let's go to a mosque. You say, whoa, it's foreign looking. It's strange looking. What goes on in there? That's how they feel about Christian churches. But if you have a cafe, oh, they come in and get a cup of coffee. They come in and that's where we can meet them and that's where we can build relationship. And we build relationships that lead to sharing the gospel, which takes a while because they have no concept of God and who he is or anything. If you share right away the cross and Jesus and dying on the cross, it's totally beyond their understanding. You have to start with the basics, and so that's what we do. We are a team of missionaries working together, and that's the strength of Sunrise, is we work together as a team. And so I'm privileged to be the supervisor of this team of eight career missionaries. And each one of us has our own strengths. One missionary focuses on children's work. Another focuses on college ministry. Another burden is they have music ministry. And all the different people working together. We encourage each other. We support each other. And that's my great job. I'm not the boss of them. I'm the supervisor, right? I look over them and try to help them and encourage them. So it's a great job. So that's one of the things that I do in Japan. I supervise and provide leadership for this group of missionaries. We get together every week and we pray together and we try to encourage each other. Why? The average length of service in Japan for a missionary, how long do you think? Five years. All these hopes and dreams, I'm going to Japan and make such sacrifice, and then five years. That's the average. Because it is a spiritual fortress. Satan has worked it out so it's so difficult that only through prayer and prayer and God's word and prayer can we hope to make a difference. And it takes time. So that's one of my roles is encouraging and being a pastor to these other missionaries. Also, we have an intern program. And that's something you young people may be interested in. You can come to Japan for three months to eight months. You can work in the cafe, work in English. It's okay if you don't know Japanese. And we get a worker, but what we really want is to help you see Japan through God's eyes. For you to see the lost, for you to get a burden, and maybe God will lead you somewhere you weren't expecting. So we have this team of missionaries working together, and we have interns, and we have longer-term interns, two to three years working with us, and we're all working together around this cafe. I also take care of the cafe. I supervise the Japanese manager, make sure the cafe's doing well, make sure the coffee's being bought and everything's smoothly running. And of course, there's Sunrise Church, which is what came out of all of these things we're doing. As we saw people come to Christ, as we saw people that were Christians that could not find a good church, God drew all these people in together. And so I get to 
preach and teach, do Bible studies for Sunrise Church. And because of that, we've seen God do some pretty cool things. There's a girl, I'll call her Nancy. It's not a real name, but you never know how this is going to get on the internet, so we don't want to embarrass anybody. But Nancy was a shut-in. And in Japan, this is a real problem. There are about 500,000 people, usually young people, who don't leave their house. They don't go out. Their parents bring them food and take care of them, but they stay in their room. And that's what she was for years. She could not go out. Finally, she was able to go to America to study. Great dream. When she got there in the first couple of days, she had a mental breakdown. Totally mental breakdown. Hallucinating. Really bad. She had to come back to Japan. And she said she laid there for a long time, hopeless. But one thing happened when she was in America. She met Christians. And the Christians shared the gospel with her. And she said she saw one of her friends become a Christian, and it changed her life so much. And they said, would you like to be a Christian? And she said, yes, because she wanted that difference. But she really didn't understand the gospel. So she came back to Japan. She wasn't really a believer. And she started coming to our church. She was so afraid. She was so afraid to come. She said, I'm going to run out of here. I'm going to run out of here. I can't take it. And one girl, one of our interns, sat down beside her and started to talk to her and built a friendship. And then she started coming to Bible studies. And now, three years later, she's become a Christian. She's baptized. And she's going out actually on the street with us when we share tracks at Christmas time. She's dressing up as an elf and going out and sharing the gospel. Someone who couldn't even get out of their bedroom is going out on the streets and sharing. That's incredible. Another gentleman that came to our church, we have a homeless outreach. That's one of the things that David, one of our missionaries, does. Goes out on the streets. You say, homeless in Japan? Oh, absolutely. Lots of homeless living on the streets. And he goes out, and he ministers and builds relationship. And homeless people started coming to our church. It's great. So we had two gentlemen who are homeless, and this one guy, somebody in the 40s, if you put him in a suit, he'd look like a business executive. How did, what happened to you? The earthquake. Remember 2011? The big earthquake and the tsunami? He lived in that village, that town that was on the seacoast. And when the wave came in, he lost his mother, he lost his fiance, he lost his house, he lost his occupation, he lost everything. And he had to leave that area because of the radiation and because of the devastation. He ended up homeless on the streets of Tokyo. And then he ended up in our church. And for a while, we actually let him live in our church, live in the cafe at night, because we found out he was walking the streets of Tokyo all night and sleeping in a friend's car during the day. And we said, that's not good. Please come and stay. And he, boy, he was great. He cleaned. He really took care of the cafe. He was such a blessing to us. But he also came to our church, and he's learning God's word. And then it turns out someone had shared the gospel with him when he was younger. And he had believed when he was younger. But then it sort of lay dormant because there was no one to teach him and no one to encourage him. And when we started teaching God's word, it's like it all came out. 
And he said, he didn't tell us at first, but later he said, oh, I was actually baptized, I believe, when I was younger. And now he has this great testimony, and he's involved in ministry to the homeless. Was it me? Did I do it? No, God's word can change the Japanese heart. And that's the kind of people that we need to come to Japan, people that believe in God's word and will use God's word to see Japanese hearts changed. Acts 26, 17. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. And of course, this is Christ speaking to Paul, right? I will send you to open their eyes and turn them from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is our ministry. This is what we try to do, to see God's word open their eyes. The entrance of your words brings light. And that's what we're trying to do, is to share the light of the gospel in Japan. What is God going to do in this world? We all sense the gathering darkness. We all sense that maybe night is coming when no one can work. What will we do? How will we be involved in the great orchestra of God that may be in its last section, its last movement? How will we be involved? Closeness to Christ brings ministry and a heart of ministry. And if you will grow close to Christ, there's no telling what part he'll let you play, what notes you'll get to play, maybe here or maybe somewhere else that you never even dreamed. I never dreamed I would be in Japan and that God would use me to share his truth with those who've never heard, to share the gospel, to read the Bible with someone who's never seen a Bible before. That's exciting. Pray about no matter how old you are. I was 45 when I went to Japan. It's never too late to get involved, and we need missionaries in Japan. We need people who will come and share the gospel. Say, I don't speak Japanese. God can use you even if you don't speak Japanese. There's a place for you because there are so many and so few. There's so many that haven't heard. There's so many that haven't met a Christian. If you can use God's word and you will trust God to use you, there's just no telling. The need is great. If you feel God's heart burning you about Japan, please come talk to me. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the work that you are doing in hearts. Burden us, Lord, with the things that burden you. Draw us close to your heart and help us to hear, Lord, the voice of your Holy Spirit calling us into ministry, calling us into service. Because, Lord, we know the hour is late 
open our eyes to the great need, not just in Japan, but in our own communities, in our own Jerusalem. But Lord, especially, Lord, I pray for Japan. Open the eyes of those who sit in darkness. Open their eyes that they might see the truth. Oh, Lord, remove the blindness that the Japanese people might know you. And Lord, call even from this place today, maybe one or two or three, Lord, call hearts to come to Japan. What can be done, O oh Lord? What can be done? You are our only hope. You are the only hope for Japan. Lord, burden our hearts with the things that burden you. Move our hearts, Lord, that we might see them come from darkness into light. And we pray in Jesus' name. God, Stephen's challenged us to walk closely with the Lord. And uh, this song talks about a heart that's abandoned and surrender. And those are things that are required. You know, we're going to walk closely with the Lord. We can only do it through surrender. So let's all stand as we close out and sing the stand.